Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello. Welcome to episode 35 of the Karma Sense Foodcast. I'm Davey H. And in this episode, we look at the sugar substitute rabbit hole. Manufactured food ingredients, sugar substitutes are perhaps the ones that people get most worked about, most passionate about. Sugar substitutes, artificial sweeteners, Splenda, whatever you call it. These are chemicals that people or machines add to food to make them taste sweet without adding all the calories. And people hate them. People are scared of them. Few people actually love them. But don't try and take away a Diet Coke addict's Diet Coke. In this episode of the Foodcast, we explore the fear factor. No, not like that TV show where people had to eat bugs. If you want that, go to Foodcast episode 16, the bug episode. I mean fear factor about fake sugar causing death and destruction of one's body. We explore sugar alternatives using a backdrop of one of my favorite books of all time. Let's get started, but let me warn you about the end. I know I made a deal with you to stop singing. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. I sing again. Deal with it. Artificial sweeteners. What a rabbit hole. And by rabbit hole, I mean the dictionary definition. A metaphor for an entry into the unknown, the disorienting, or the mentally deranging. And that's from its use in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. A totally awesome book. In this metaphor, artificial sweetener stands in for the rabbit. I'm Alice, although I look better in a navy blue dress than a sky blue one if you ask me. And the whole is a symbol for my attempt to make sense of this topic. You, my readers and listeners, are to blame. It all started with my never-ending obsession with the 2015 Dietary Guidelines for Americans, also spurred by you folks. I posted on it in my blog and talk about it in Foodcast episode 31, Food Wonk. Then the second-level questions came in, including questions about the new guidelines for added sugar. You see, the FDA is changing the nutrition facts label on packaged foods and requiring manufacturers to tell you how much sugar they add. This goes along with the Dietary Guidelines for Americans asking that you restrict your added sugar intake to 10% of calories. The food manufacturers have seen the demonization of sugar a-coming, and they perform all sorts of unnatural acts to hide their sugar content. It's one of the reasons the cereals we old farts grew up with suddenly have different names. Sugar-frosted flakes may still be great, but now they're plain old frosted flakes. And sugar pops or corn pops 
But I bet they changed that name too, since corn is undergoing its own GMO-led demonization cycle. And no longer is Super Sugar Crisp either super nor sugared. How do I know? Because they're now Golden Crisp. You can learn more about this war on sugar in a blog post whose link I include in the show notes. But with all this kerfuffle around sugar, it's unrealistic to tell people to eat less of this highly addictive substance and not say how to kick the habit. The dietary guidelines acknowledge this fact and give some deference to artificial sweeteners when they say, quote, It should be noted that replacing added sugars with high-intensity sweeteners may reduce calorie intake in the short term. Yet, questions remain about their effectiveness as a long-term weight management strategy. Unquote. And duly noted. The guidelines go on to list what they call high-intensity sweeteners that have the FDA okay, and then they follow this list with even more weasel words that demonstrates that FDA's fear of commitment. So, like any other person with an unnatural, irrational, and insatiable curiosity about personal health, because there are so many of us walking around, I felt honor-bound to get to the bottom of this fake sugar question. I still haven't found the bottom. There are at least three different categories of artificial sweeteners, 15 distinct substances currently in use, and hundreds of different brands and blends, each with its own effect on your health. As I started researching this, because someone has to research this stuff, I saw that I was in the midst of creating another epic episode of the Foodcast, and by epic I mean long and tedious like what you had to read in high school, and not awesome and groovy like kids say in high school. Kids still say awesome and groovy in high school, right? There's so much nuance to this subject, I could fill a book. And I'm not ready to do that. If I'm going to write another book, it'll be about integrating kindness and physical activity into your otherwise busy life. Also, it'll contain lots of poop jokes. But there's nothing stopping me from making poop jokes here, and that's what I aim to do. Because I know many of you love to skip past the details, I'll start this rant with the end and tell you what I think people should do about their fake sugar intake. Then we'll do the usual kind of survey course on a subject we do around here in which we explore the science, political, social, and artistic aspects of fake sugar, if a discussion of Japanese monster movies can be classified as art. But first, artificial sweeteners. What would Davy H. do? Look, your best bet is to avoid artificial sweeteners, just like you should avoid added sugars. If this isn't possible, either because you have a sweet tooth or because you're addicted to diet drinks, don't panic. Artificial sweeteners can be part of a healthy lifestyle. Evidence that they cause chronic diseases such as cancer or make you gain weight is weak or dependent on consuming more than one would ever consume in a lifetime. At least until Ben & Jerry's releases a sugar-free version of Chubby Hubby then maybe one could consume enough. Anyway, specific types of artificial sweeteners can cause specific issues for people under specific conditions. Is that enough specifics for you? Most common is the stomach upset associated with eating the so-called low-calorie sugar alcohols. And note that stomach upset is a euphemism for explosive diarrhea, and there we have it, our first poop joke. You're welcome. It's best to research the effects of the different kinds of artificial sweeteners, and that's something that I talk about later. Finally, if you don't want to worry about it, 
Remember that first suggestion and just avoid artificial sweeteners as much as you can. I avoid them, but mostly because they're gross. I'm not a fan of the used gym sock tastes they leave in my mouth. And when compared to a perfectly ripe peach, a cold piece of in-season watermelon, or an orange on a really hot day, well, there's really no comparison, even if sugar-free chubby hubby did exist. And that's my recommendation. Now, before we discuss the fake stuff in detail, it makes sense to cover a little background on the real thing. It's a real thing. Not that real thing, but it may as well be. I mean glucose, fructose, and galactose. A lot of people don't know this. I didn't until I looked it up. But glucose, fructose, and galactose are not the names of giant nuclear monsters intent on destroying Tokyo. Instead, they're monosaccharides, something that actually may sound scarier, but is just real sugar molecules in its purest, uncut form. And these monster monosaccharides contain the standard four calories per gram you get from any carbohydrate, but without the nutritional and calorie-diluting benefit of the fiber, vitamins, or phytochemicals that come with whole foods like sweet potatoes, apples, or beans. Monosaccharides are delivered to our gut in many forms. You know them by and see them listed as ingredients in many ways, including agave nectar syrup, blackstrap molasses, brown rice syrup, brown sugar, coconut sugar, corn syrup, date sugar, dextrose, evaporated cane syrup, fructose, fruit juice, concentrate, glucose, granulated beet sugar, granulated cane sugar, high fructose corn syrup, honey, hydrolyzed starch, inverted sugar syrup, invert sugar, chubby hubby, maltodextrin, maltose, maple syrup, molasses, palm sugar, raw organic cane sugar, sucrose, sugar, sugar beets. Now, mash up this nutrition knowledge bomb with the added sugar recommendations from the 2015 Dietary Guidelines for Americans, and what you get is an average daily limit equal to one Snickers bar or one can of pop or whatever else you call liquid candy in your geographic region. That's one of those per day. The actual average consumed by Americans is about twice that. That's the average. That means some of us are above and some are below. So knowing that sugar has negative health effects and that we eat too much, what does our healthcare industrial complex do? Well, one would expect the collective geniuses in the world of medicine, research, engineering, and policy to collaborate in a sincere effort to divert our attention from packaged foods that are not palatable without some kind of sweetening. The new target would be whole foods that are naturally delicious. But all the best intentions in the world are no match for the marketing and lobbying might of big food. Unfortunately, the big fruit lobby just isn't as big. The result is a half-hearted effort on behalf of whole food with a much larger focus on better living through chemistry and an ongoing pursuit of artificial sweeteners, sugar substitutes, fake sugar. Ah, capitalism. To be fair, the folks in charge of food policy continuously encourage us to eat more whole foods. They also accept the inevitable that people don't want to give up their bacon and ranch flavored chocolate covered cheese puffs. In fact, Every five years, the United States Department of Health and Human Services and the United States Department of Agriculture release that document, the Dietary Guidelines for Americans. 
To ensure that the guidelines contain the most up-to-date information, the sponsoring organizations charter a group of nutrition and health experts who work under the auspices of the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, or DJAC, or DCAC. The DCAC analyzes the latest research and summarizes it into a set of recommendations. Congress reviews these recommendations and removes anything that may offend big donors, such as the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, motto, it's what's for dinner, the Sugar Refiners Association, motto, you're not fat, you're big boned, and the Bacon and Ranch Flavored Chocolate Covered Cheese Puff Association, motto, we have the most ingredients. The result serves as food policy for all government activities over the course of the next five years and ensures that bacon and ranch flavored chocolate covered cheese puffs maintain their classification as a vegetable and is freely available in your school lunch program. So, what did the TACAC say? For the first time in guidelines history, the TACAC had some specific things to say about fake sugar. There are over 50 mentions of, quote, low-calorie sweeteners, unquote, in their final report. And most of these mentions are a repeat of the same statement, quote, added sugar should be reduced in the diet and not replaced with low-calorie sweeteners, but rather with healthy options such as water in place of sugar-sweetened beverages. They also looked at one specific artificial sweetener, aspartame, and said this, Aspartame in amounts commonly consumed is safe and poses minimal health risk for healthy individuals without phenylketonuria, or PKU, an inherited inability to metabolize phenylalanine that causes brain and nerve damage if it's not treated. In summary, the committee's recommendation is that fake sugar isn't necessarily bad for you, but it's gross, so try not to eat it. And what do the guidelines say? Well, those of you who stay awake when I talk about the dietary guidelines for Americans know that in most cases, when there's disagreement between the committee recommendations and the final guidelines, I side with the, I side with the nerds on the committee. And here's the best summary statement directly from the guidelines. Embrace yourself for some bloviating. Quote, It should be noted that replacing added sugars with high-intensity sweeteners may reduce calorie intake in the short term. Yet, questions remain about their effectiveness as a long-term weight management strategy. High-intensity sweeteners that have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration includes saccharin, aspartame, acesulfame potassium, also known as ACE-K, and sucralose. And based on the available scientific evidence, these high-intensity sweeteners are considered to be safe for the general population. That means that there's reasonable certainty of no harm under the intended conditions of use because the estimated daily intake is not expected to exceed the acceptable daily intake for each sweetener. The FDA has determined that the estimated daily intake of these high-intensity sweeteners would not exceed the acceptable daily intake even for high consumers of each substance, unquote. In summary, fake sugar what the guidelines calls high-intensity sweeteners, is a perfectly legitimate and safe way to reduce calorie consumption. There's no recommendation for healthy alternatives. Do what you gotta do, brah. When you look at each of these conclusions, what you get is a tepid endorsement of fake sugar that together amount to the following. You probably shouldn't eat fake sugar, 
but we know you're going to do it anyway. In the scheme of things, there are worse things you can do, such as upsetting the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the Sugar Refiners Association, and the Bacon and Ranch Flavored Chocolate Covered Cheese Puff Association. And this seems like a pretty realistic and reasonable set of advice. The weird thing to me is the difference in terminology. The Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee talks about low-calorie sweeteners. The guidelines refer to high-intensity sweeteners. What's the deal with these different names for fake sugar? I did a lot of research for this episode, because someone has to research this stuff. I read government policy documents, scientific journals, big food white papers, and the last book in the Game of Thrones series. Hey, I needed a break. And this being the food cast, I needed to know what a bowl of brown was. Anyway, in that process, I came across all these terms in reference to the same thing. High-intensity sweeteners, high-potency sweeteners, low-calorie sweeteners, non-nutritive sweeteners, zero-calorie sweeteners, sugar substitute, rare sugar, novel sweeteners. Novel? As in fiction? Oh, wait. Alternative sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, Dornish wine. I'm not sure if that last one applies. Anyway, I don't know why the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee had to call fake sugar one thing and the guidelines went with something else. I'm sure there's a story there. But it'd really be nice if they'd use a single term for the category. All real sugars come from the same monosaccharide building blocks. Glucose, fructose, and galactose. Therefore, their effects are consistent, regardless of if they're in table sugar form or crunchy sugar bomb cereal form of Calvin and Hobbes fame. However, the various fake sugars have little in common, and that complicates things for those of us in the advice-giving business. By my count, there are hundreds of brand names, such as Equal, Splenda, and Truvia. They each use one or more of the 15 or so fake sugar compounds, including aspartame, saccharin, stevia... And those compounds fall into one of three categories that I'll discuss later. Each has its own advantage and disadvantage. When the compounds get blended together, a common practice, the combinations are infinite. Do we really need the added chaos that comes from having so many synonyms? There are actual technical differences between the different terms, but those differences aren't really relevant to us mere mortals. All we care about is how many calories are in the final product, And what are the side effects of the product's ingredients? And for my research, because someone has to research this stuff, I noticed that even the scientists, regulators, and product specialists who should know and care about the difference interchange the terms with reckless abandon. I mean reckless. They really enjoy living life on the edge. So let's dispense with the unnecessary complexity of vague overlapping terminology. I propose we refer to them as fake sugar. Sugar substitute is also an accurate name, but it sounds so mature, I reject it on principle. As Juliet said to Romeo, fake sugar by any other name would still taste like old gym socks. In order to provide meaningful advice, let's look at the basic types. There's truly artificial sweeteners, sugar alcohols, and natural sugar substitutes. And you'll get more details in all of them later, but for now, let's just look at those high-level categories. Real fake sugars, or truly artificial sweeteners, are chemicals that don't occur in nature. That's what makes them real fake. Many of them were accidental discoveries by chemists pursuing unrelated projects. 
For example, the chemists who discovered saccharin were working on applications for coal tar derivatives that had nothing to do with food. Real fake sugar comes from the labs of companies like Celanese, a textile manufacturer, and Monsanto of GMO fame. The varieties of real fake sugar include ACE-K, Adventame, Allulose, Aspartame, Cyclamate, Neotame, Saccharin, mmm, coal tar, Sucralose, another accident, and Tagatose, not to be confused with them there, Girl Scout cookies. And I should note that allulose does in fact occur in nature, but in such small quantities it has to be produced in a lab instead, which makes it similar to the next category, fake real sugar alcohols, or just sugar alcohols. Sugar alcohols actually do exist in nature. They occur in very small amounts in several foods, mostly fruit. And that's what makes them real sugar alcohols. But because they occur in such small amounts, big food manufactures them in industrial labs to increase yield. And that's what makes them fake real sugar alcohols. There are many different kinds of sugar alcohols, and the ones that are food additives include xylitol, erythritol, sorbitol, and maltitol. The digestive system tolerates some better than others, but as with all the fake sugars, it seems to depend on the person. Finally, there's real sugar substitutes, which is either the sweet tooth savior or destined to be a big disappointment. Stevia and monk fruit, also known by the much cooler name of Lohan Kuo, are the two rising stars of the fake sugar universe. Each contains substances called glycosides. Glycosides are naturally sweet because they contain monosaccharides, but like sugar alcohols, they're bound to other molecules. And your digestive system can't break the bond between the two molecules, so the sugar is never actually absorbed by your body, although your taste buds taste them. However, yield on these guys is pretty low too. Don't worry, Big Food's working on ways of building industrial lab versions of stevia and monk fruit as well, and they're already lobbying to call these fake versions natural. But you'll know that in the end, you won't be eating these real sugar substitutes. You'll be eating fake real sugar substitutes. Now, before we go on, I'm going to come right out and remind you that I'm biased by my opinion that sugar substitutes are gross. They taste nasty. They undermine your appreciation for good food. They're made in factories that could just as well be making dog food or bear mace. But my disdain is based on little more than personal preference. Some of you people actually like foods with fake sugar. You need your diet soft drinks, or you look at low-calorie sweets as a bridge towards your better health. And that view is no less legitimate than mine. If you're in that group, I encourage you to continue listening. It'll help you come to peace with the decision to continue to consume fake sugar or to start tapering off. If you're like me and avoid eating things that taste like gym socks, please keep listening. You'll learn important stuff like how your microbiome is exactly like a dog, even the drooling part. Plus, you'll be able to smugly throw the wisdom of your choice to your diet-right cola-addicted friends. So, heading back to our Alice in Wonderland metaphor, now that we've traversed the extent of the fake sugar rabbit hole, what lies at the end? And I answer that in the spirit of the food list appendix of the Karma Sense Eating Plan. That section was chock-a-block full, which I believe is a nautical term for crapload, of useful info to help guide more nutritious food choices. In fact, there's a subset of readers who commented that the appendix of the Karma Sense Eating Plan is the best part. I could take that any number of ways, such as, one, the narrative portion of the book is so poorly written and factually bankrupt 
that tables containing nothing but facts and totally devoid of superhero and poop references rises to the top. Or, I have mad skills when it comes to analyzing, summarizing, and organizing worthwhile information that you can't find from one single source. I'm going to assume it's the latter. Now don't worry, I'm not going to rattle off table contents cell by cell. I just include the highlights in this episode and posted the comprehensive version in the show notes. But before we even get to that, I think it's important that we review what the research says on some of the claims about sugar substitutes. Then we'll get into the details so you can confidently ponder some of life's deeper questions, such as, hmm, what's more disgusting, sugar-free ho-hos or diet chocolate-covered bacon and ranch-flavored cheese puffs? And seriously, if this is a subject you care about, you may want to consider finding a way to save the reference in the show notes offline, because I'm considering pulling it off the website in the future and packaging it in an ebook for sale. I haven't been able to find that information it contains in any other single place, and it is that valuable. A guy has to make a living somehow. Geico and AutoZone commercials aren't enough to keep the lights on around here. Also, there are those pesky cease and desist letters I think I'm going to get from Selenese and Monsanto. But I'll worry about those as they happen. So let's examine some of those negative side effects you hear about sugar substitutes and what the research says. We'll categorize this around three important aspects. Do sugar substitutes make you sick in the short term? Do sugar substitutes make you sick in the long term? Do sugar substitutes even work? Okay, first, do sugar substitutes make you sick in the short term? Some people say that fake sugar gives them a bellyache or indigestion or even undesirable anal emissions of both the gaseous and solid kind. These are all symptoms some people experience when they consume these sugar substitutes. The real culprit causing this problem is your microbiome or your gut flora. Your digestive tract is teeming with bacteria that can help or hinder the process of absorbing nutrients and excreting toxins. These little fellers get a lot of play in the media these days, but the fact is, we really don't know much about them. And this is confirmed in a recent meta-analysis, the kind of research that makes a food geek swoon, a link to which you can be sure I include in the show notes, because this way, I won't lose track of it. No one else reads them. Anyway... There does appear to be some evidence that sugar substitutes change a person's default gut population to something else. That change may just as well be beneficial as harmful. It is my opinion that they're most likely neutral or slightly harmful to your gut. You see, them fellers in your gut are a lot like dogs. Their main purpose in life is to drool. The only difference is your gut drools in your intestines. Your dog drools all over that rug that really pulled your room together. Despite this, you'd miss both kinds of fellers terribly if they weren't around. But they're not exactly what I would call smart. For example, both your dog and your gut will happily eat things that aren't really food, and that rarely ends up well. In both cases, the damage will eventually pass if you take good care of them and feed them maybe a little canned pumpkin. But keep in mind, one fake sugar in particular, xylitol, is deadly poisonous to dogs. This is another reason to keep your trident sugarless gum away from Fido. Four out of five veterinarians agree. The fifth one? He's an asshole. Regardless, 
Many people anecdotally report stomach upset after consuming certain sugar substitutes. So caveat emptor. So what's the verdict? Do sugar substitutes cause gut issues? For some people. And note, there is a link to poor gut health and several chronic long-term conditions, including cancer and diabetes. Diabetes. In addition, the microbiome is linked to a long list of behavioral and mood disorders. As stated, the science on this is a lot like me in that it's immature and not dependable. So, while these might be good indications, no one really knows. What about sugar substitutes and headaches? Aspartame is the usual suspect for this claim. There are several studies. I include one in the show notes. In fact, from this point forward, assume that when I refer to a study, I link to it in the show notes. Anyway, there are several studies that say the frequency of headaches for people who consume aspartame is no different from those who consume a placebo. But other studies conclude some people are more susceptible to headaches than others. This is an issue that's clearly in people's head. As someone who feels he's susceptible to aspartame-induced headaches, I know it's true but I can't help believe that it's at least partially psychosomatic, since simply thinking about the migraines I used to get during my Diet Pepsi drinking days is giving me a headache and that queasy migraine feeling right now. And that's not a joke. So, sugar substitutes and headaches, what's the verdict? I think it's irrelevant. If you get them, does it matter whether it's psychosomatic or not? Next, we look at whether sugar substitutes make you sick in the long term. Many experts blame sugar substitutes for cancer, depression, and other chronic diseases. But what's the evidence for those claims? Looking at cancer first, the research that demonstrates a link between sugar substitutes and cancer only seems to apply if you're a rat, or if you spent your entire life drinking tab at the same rate that the co-eds in my neighboring dorm in college did. Most recently, study after study after study demonstrates no link, and this is why the FDA considers they're safe. The only exception to the not banned due to cancer rule is the sweetener called cyclamates. Those of us who have geeked out on Dr. Atkins' diet revolution as a child, I know there are others of you out there. Well, we're familiar with the long, sad tale concerning cyclamates. It was banned due to a link found in one of those rat studies in which they overfed the stuff and eventually got tumors the size of, well, rats. Many of those studies are now discredited, but to this day, One of the least objectionable tasting artificial sweeteners remains banned in the United States. So, do sugar substitutes cause cancer? Probably not. How about depression? There isn't a lot to go on with this claim, but one study found that people who already have mood disorders may be subject to exacerbative symptoms when eating or drinking food that contains aspartame. Not only are the symptoms exacerbated, but they could even get worse. Depression is a serious disorder that depends on many physiological and mental processes. The composition of your gut is one of those factors, and we already talked about how fake sugar shakes that up. It makes sense that individual substances, whether natural or artificial, could have this effect. Depression also is reversible using both natural and artificial means. If you're suffering from depression, avoid aspartame. It probably won't eliminate your symptoms, but it does make treatment easier and you become less dependent on drugs for relief. So depression? Just be mindful if you're prone to mood disorders and act accordingly. One final possible outcome with sugar substitutes is that you contract diabetes. Diabetes. And again, 
The studies go either way. In the case of diabetes, I'm going to save you from playing the jingle this time, no matter how much I love Wilford Brimley Jr. There are only observational studies, which means that they don't prove that sugar substitutes cause diabetes. People who acquired type 2 diabetes in those studies could have gained the dubious achievement due to any number of reasons, and it just so happens that they also guzzled Diet Coke. The studies that show no link are much stronger. The randomized control trials that prove that the intake of sugar substitutes do not elicit any of the mechanisms that are symptoms or precursors to type 2 diabetes. We can safely assume there's no link. Any evidence to the contrary implies that there may be other behavioral or genetic links. For diabetes, there's a very weak link. More research is needed for specific populations. Finally, do sugar substitutes even work? And for sugar substitutes to work, they should help people lose or maintain their weight. The most obvious way they can help people lose weight is to reduce cravings and therefore calorie intake. So how does it do with cravings? There's plenty of speculation regarding mechanisms that link the use of sugar substitutes to the desire to eat more real sugar. But I find a lot more studies that show the opposite effect. Many mechanisms drive hunger. Your hormones and nervous system contribute a bunch. But the absolute biggest reason you get hungry is because you decide you're hungry. None of this research tested for that. What the research shows is that different people respond in different ways. So, trust your gut. Do sugar substitutes affect cravings? Mostly it's in your head. And note, when I say in your head, I don't deny that physiological drivers for hunger are there. However, with proper training, you can overcome this. I help people do this in my coaching practice all the time and I'm happy to help you. Just let me know. Regardless of whether sugar substitutes affect your appetite, do they help you lose weight? By now, you should recognize the dirty little secret of most nutrition research is that it's easy to find studies that support a specific point of view. I can find research that says sugar substitutes increase weight. I could find studies that show the opposite. We're back to the advice on the previous discussion on hunger and cravings. Individual results will vary. So, do sugar substitutes have a weight effect? For most people... They help you lose weight. If you remember earlier in this episode, I introduced a taxonomy of artificial sweeteners. I did that because while most normal people haphazardly apply the term artificial sweeteners to a broad class of substances, pedantic nutrition geeks have many different terms with nuanced meanings that are important only to them. This is similar to the way my mother, a normal person, referred to the old comic book she threw out and I, pedant that I am, sternly corrected her that it was not an old comic book. It was Uncanny X-Men number one, and it currently sells for $3,500 in today's money. Normally, my speaking back to her that way wouldn't end well for me. But when I put it in terms of lost money, she immediately felt my pain. Anyway, to normalize between these two models, I introduced a taxonomy that works roughly like this. Artificial sweeteners, which are chemicals that don't occur in nature and happen to taste sweet. Sugar alcohols, which are chemicals of a specific molecular configuration, alcohols, that occur in nature and happen to taste sweet. Also, they can make you poop a lot. And then natural or real sugar substitutes. 
These are chemicals of a specific molecular configuration, glycosides, that occur in nature and happen to taste sweet. The show notes has three different tables, one for each of these categories, and each table lists all of the fake sugars by their generic name, brand names, and then relevant comments on the specific item. You may not have heard of some on the list, and that's because it either hasn't been approved in your country or because it's new. It hasn't been approved in any country. That's right, you heard it here first. Imagine how you can impress your friends when you corner them in a room and talk to them about the futuristic fake sugar Neohesperidin. So, an example entry in these tables would be as follows. You've heard of the artificial sweetener called aspartame. And it occurs over-the-counter as NutraSweet, Equal, Sugar Twin, or Candorel. Some of the comments in the table include that it can't be metabolized by people with PKU. We talked about that earlier. If you don't know what PKU is, you probably don't have to worry. Another comment is some people experience headaches when consuming aspartame. Another comment is people with mood disorders may be susceptible to depression. And finally, aspartame promotes certain bad bacteria. One of the sugar alcohols, xylitol, happens to kill these bad bacteria. So if you're using a sugar substitute that has both aspartame and xylitol, and you think you're getting the benefit of xylitol because you're using it, you're not because the aspartame is canceling it out. I know that all sounds geeky, but some people choose sugarless gum that includes xylitol because they've heard it's good for their teeth. Then they'll go ahead and drink some diet soda with aspartame and, and they're canceling out the benefit of the xylitol. Now, in addition to individual specific comments, each table includes descriptive information that applies across the category. So, for example, the table that lists the so-called natural sugar substitutes, stevia and monk fruit, tells you stuff like, it's expensive and difficult to extract these sweeteners from the plants in sufficient quantities to meet demand. That's not a problem for big food who can make fake versions in factories. Big food is lobbying to the FDA to allow them to call these factory-made versions natural. From my perspective, they're probably close enough, but some people are really hung up on that term natural, and I don't think it should be called natural. The other comment is that natural sugar substitutes are often blended with unnatural artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols. The stevia you think you're using may not just be stevia. Hopefully it's not like the stevia Lydia used in the show Breaking Bad. And now we've come to the end of our story. Alice is on trial. The Queen of Hearts is shouting, Off with her head! And just as Alice starts asserting herself by identifying those characters as the frauds they are, they hoist themselves upon her in an ill-fated attack. Ill-fated, because she suddenly awakens from her dream state and transitions from Wonderland to Reality Land, a safe place where inanimate objects and four-legged creatures don't talk, and instead she's pursued by a strange old man who tells her stories about her taking drugs and tripping balls. And if after all this, you're not feeling like you're coming out of your own bad acid trip and still want to include fake sugars in your diet, if you're not yet on board with my opinion that all the options taste like gym socks, if you want to know how to satisfy your sweet tooth and still be healthy, be happy, and... Oh yeah, save the world? My advice depends on the category in which you fit, because I categorize everything. It's just how I roll. Are you a person who isn't worried about eating real sugar because you don't believe the anti-sugar hype 
and you're not really trying to lose weight? If so, good for you. You're a sensible human being. Google something like the evils of sugar and you'll become more frightened than Alice was when she started shrinking after sipping that drink that, according to Lewis Carroll's description, tasted of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, and hot buttered toast, or what we call Dr. Pepper. But when you investigate the facts from reasonable sources, such as what you can find by subscribing to the KarmaSenseWellness.com newsletter, you know that sugar in moderation and in the right packaging can be part of a healthy lifestyle. So here's my advice for you. Go ahead, eat foods with real sugar, but avoid sugar-sweetened beverages, including fruit juice, because they're mostly empty calories that don't provide any long-term satisfaction. Get most of your sugar from whole fruit. Whole fruit has fiber, vitamins, and other magical nutrients that minimize the effects of the sugar and provide additional health benefits. Restrict foods with added sugar to the amounts recommended in the Dietary Guidelines for Americans. That restriction is about 25 grams or 5 teaspoons. This can get confusing, so I include a link to a post I wrote a while back that brings some clarity to the issue and includes the type of wisdom one can only find in a high school yearbook. Really. To maximize your body's metabolism of sugar, consume it within two hours after vigorous exercise. This erudite which I believe is a word based on the Latin word for smartass, this erudite advice is discussed in depth in the Karma Sense Eating Plan's discussion of mantra number three, eat whole food carbohydrates after vigorous exercise, a chapter for which I recently received the following unsolicited feedback from someone who has nothing to gain by being nice to me. Wow, if the rest of that book is as wonderful as this chapter, you really are blessed with a talent. I love the history you present. Ah, shucks. Obviously, he believes in the value of kindness to others. If you'd like your own wow moment while helping out Alice's kids at the same time, please consider purchasing a copy, or five, of the Karma Sense Eating Plan. But I digress. Are you a person who craves sweets and wants to lose weight, but doesn't want to eat sugar substitutes because, well, they're gross? Good for you. You're a sensible human being. Sugar substitutes are gross. They absolutely do taste like gym socks, and they are made in factories that may as well be making bug killers. In fact, some sugar substitutes could double as bug killers. In a Drexel University study, Go Dragons, scientists discovered that erythritol, a sugar alcohol that Coca-Cola and Cargill blends with stevia to joint market the fake sugar known as Truvia, is toxic to fruit flies. But the worst transgression is that most substitutes tend to be sickly sweet. And when I say sick, and I say sweet, I don't mean it in a gnarly radical dude sort of way. While sugar substitutes can satisfy a craving for sweets, they don't really promote healthy eating. Your desire to improve your health by losing weight will probably run into roadblocks if you become dependent on sugar-free versions of cookies, sodas, and bacon and ranch flavored chocolate covered cheese puffs. The ultra-sweet taste of sugar substitutes is what makes people continue to crave Twinkies and the chocolate fountain at Golden Corral. So, if you fit in the like sweets but not fake sugar category, your sweet cravings should primarily be satisfied with fruit. This is not the end of the world. As you wean yourself off of fake sugar, 
and start eating real whole fruit in a deliberate and intentional manner, you'll never want to go back again. There's no flavor in the world that compares to a perfectly ripe peach, fresh strawberry, or Honeycrisp apple. Sure, go ahead and have the occasional treat, but make it truly occasional and truly a treat. Don't waste it on some crap you bought in the impulse buy section of your supermarket checkout line. For bonus get healthy points that you can turn in for cash and valuable prizes. I'm sure you can somewhere. Eat that fruit within two hours after vigorous exercise. Your body will metabolize the sugar better and those luscious treats will taste even better as the juice quenches the thirst deep within your throat. I know, I can get passionate about really good food. Next, are you someone who wants to lose weight and aren't ready to give up diet soda pop or other sweet foods and drinks given all the additional lifestyle changes weight loss requires? If so, good for you. You're a sensible human being. If you can't tell, I personally don't like sugar substitutes. They're not worth it to me. Fortunately for you, among the many blessings your creator granted you, being Davy H isn't one of them. Furthermore, there's little evidence that supports the hysteria about sugar substitutes causing cancer or other chronic diseases. And the proof that they curtail weight loss while they increase appetite and cravings for sweets is mixed. If that mixed nature of that proof concerns you, remember that your appetite and cravings come from many factors. Here I go again with those many factors. They are genes, physiology, physical activity, nutrition, mindset, and physical environment. And the biggest factor, and the one you have the most control over, is your mindset. And so, if sugar substitutes fortify your resolve to resist higher calorie treats, then go forth and prosper. On the other hand, if they only make matters worse, consider weaning yourself off sweet stuff and transition to the No Sugar Substitute Club as previously described. This doesn't have to be an overnight change. You can do it over time. Just make sure you have a real plan on how you'll kick that habit. And I can help if you want. If you plan to be a long-term sugar substitute user, you should restrict your intake to a level that's comparable to what the Dietary Guidelines for Americans suggest for real sugar. To make this translation, I defer to someone who I consider the Angela Merkel of nutrition, in that she's talented, uber smart, and smoking hot. That's the nutrition diva. I put her daily recommendations in the show notes, but for example, probably the most common thing is how much diet soft drinks to drink in a day. Aim for about 12 ounces or 250 milliliters. The show notes also contain a translation from Splenda, Equal, Truvia, and pretty much all of the major and minor fake sugar brands. I take the divas <sighs> advice one step further by recommending that you stick to natural forms of sugar substitutes such as monk fruit and stevia. Also, of the sugar alcohols, erythritol seems to be the most harmless sugar alcohol as it relates to crappy taste and stomach upset which is a different form of crap-related symptom. So give erythritol-laced Truvia a try, unless you're a fruit fly. Note that monk fruit and stevia are on my watch list, a list no ingredient ever wants to be on. I'm still gunning for you, sodium acid pyrophosphate. Big food has problems keeping up with the demand, and rather than researching sustainable ways to address market requirements, 
they resort to cheaper techniques, and that means going back to the lab where the bug killers are made. Next, you have a sugar metabolism disorder such as diabetes, and you've already consulted your doctor? Good for you. You're a sensible person. Even if you're on the road to diabetes, I have to do it just one more time. Diabetes. Even if you're on the road to diabetes, but haven't just reached that dreaded finish line, there's some evidence that sugar substitutes cause an eventual spike in blood sugar from eating other foods. So my advice to you is, do what your doctor tells you. If your doctor doesn't spend enough time with you to help you through this discussion, get a new doctor. Conversely, if you're a person who has a sugar metabolism disorder such as diabetes and haven't consulted your doctor, please make an appointment with your doctor now. This is my only advice. Finally, are you a person who doesn't fit into any of these categories? Well, good for you. You're unique. The only advice I have for you is that if you still have questions about sugar substitutes, contact me directly. I have a contact form in the show notes, or you can just email davyh at karmasensewellness.com or reach out on any of my social media outlets. And so we come to the exciting conclusion of this episode of the Foodcast and Alice's Travels Through the Rabbit Hole. In summary, you can eat real sugar and still live a long, healthy life. You can eat fake sugar and still have a long, healthy life. The more you avoid of each, the longer and healthier your life will be. But what about Alice? Well, secure in her newfound knowledge about sugar and its substitutes, she checks out her figure in the looking glass, and that's a story for another time. I want to thank you again for generously giving me your time, for writing your reviews on Apple Podcasts, and sharing the Foodcast with your friends. If you haven't reviewed and shared, it's the best way to make sure I keep doing what I'm doing. And if you don't want me to keep doing what I'm doing, then a negative review works better than ignoring me. In the meantime, as we close this episode, it's always good to remember what your old friends, the Jefferson Airplane and Davey H, always say. Sugar makes you larger, the fake stuff may make you small, but the best thing for your body, avoid any of them at all. Go ask Davy, or give him a call. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.